Baby Sisters. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because it doesn't. And really, does anything make sense anymore? No. No, but did it ever? Yeah. No. Did it really ever? No. Like you could say, oh yeah, no, that, I mean, I, I, I understood that part of my life, but did it make sense? I mean, it made sense in the sense that I could sense it. Like the first time you finished having sex. Uh-huh. Did you step back and go, well, that made sense? Oh, definitely not. No, yeah. no, 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 no. No, the first time... I finished having sex. Sorry if there are children listening. I was traumatized. And then I smoked a cigarette in basically a stranger's backyard underneath a Hawaiian palm. How romantic. It was not. But the next day, when I was driven back to my hotel on the back of a bright yellow Vespa along the coast, that was very romantic. Wow, Kay White Lotus. With my arms clutched around my lover's waist. Just like Jennifer Coolidge. Don't remember his name. Oh my God, I was Jennifer Coolidge, <laughs> except I didn't die. Okay, spoiler alert. Well, you know what? If you don't know that by <laughs> yeah, now, right, you live in a cave and I admire you, you hermit, you. Yeah, where is your cave located and how much was it? Yeah, does you it have market? another cave <laughs> that maybe we could move into for a bit? <laughs> Uh, I'm Angel Lopez. Yes, you are. I am a film producer. I am an astrologer. I am a teacher of metaphysical subjects. All day, every day. And I am a writer. Indeed. Of many different forms. Including your life. Yes. I'm a a co-creator of my life. A dream writer. Sure. And you? I'm Brandon Alter. I am a spiritual healer. I am a writer, an astrologer, a tarot reader, a teacher of all these modalities, and sometimes a performer. I was in the past. I probably will be again sometime in the future. What we are not is podcast hosts. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> yes, we are. What are you what doing right now? I'm excited by how many new people have discovered us. Um, I've just been noticing that because um, I'm the one who like has access to like the numbers of listeners and things like that. And we've definitely like grown some in the last year. And I've noticed people leaving comments, like particularly on Podbean and things of that nature. Um, someone left, uh, I mean, I think it was a trolley comment. Like someone trolled us on Podbean and left a comment of like, why is the uh, podcast episode uh, photo a picture of like two men engaged in oral sex? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. So I was like, wait, what? I was like, did we get hacked? And then I was like, no, this person who, you know, their like avatar is not a picture of themselves. It's like an animated Got character, it. I think was just like trying. But to honestly, us. should it be? <laughs> should we change our podcast photo to us engage in oral sex? Is this the year we start our OnlyFans? I mean, we keep uh, teasing it and... You know, we 
full disclosure, just had like a, f- a meeting about the future of the spiritual gaze and... OnlyFans did not come up. OnlyFans did not come up, but, you know, greater community, more engagement did come up. And, you know, if you all are interested in seeing us engage in some lewd activity, I have let s- us know. I know. I have Saturn in Scorpio in the eighth house, which means what I do in my bedroom is between you and me. And I guess Noche sometimes if he's in the room, he has to he has to watch it. I have Mars and Pisces, so I have no boundaries. So Angel's the one to approach y'all, not me. <laughs> um, and even welcome. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to all you new listeners. It's our first episode of the new year. And yeah. we're actually starting something that we're both very excited about. Yeah. We are going to be doing a series this year of deep dives into the astrological houses. So we're going to do one house a month. And by the end of the year, you will all be experts on the on the zodiacal houses. Right. Uh, yeah, that'll be really fun. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about the first house today. Uh, we're going to do a little uh, dose of reality. Because we have to talk about the new drag race. There's so much. Sisters. All the housewives drama. All the housewives drama. There's a lot of it. So much news. But uh, before we get into that, how are you? Oh, how am I? Well, let's see. I did my year ahead spread for 2023. I did it a couple of weeks ago before Mercury went retrograde. Because I know you haven't done yours yet. No. You're waiting for the end of the month. But my January card is the High Priestess. And so I feel like, among other things, a High Priestess month is about turning inwards, is about isolating a little bit. It's about like removing yourself from the world. And I've definitely been trying to do that. I've been baking a lot of bread. I've been... Not nearly enough, in my opinion. Oh my gosh, I've baked a lot of bread. Could be more. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to be careful because I've got Jupiter in my first house. If I bake any more bread, I'm just going to blow up. Welcome to the party. (laughs) Uh, Been reading a lot. I'm just like trying to start real slow. Trying to start this year real slow with Mars and Mercury retrograde. And we're fools, by the way, to be recording this podcast with both of those planets retrograde. We've done it before. We'll do it again. But I actually think... If you're listening to this podcast, Mars has at least stationed direct. So maybe you're feeling that momentum in a positive way. I've, uh, honestly, y'all, I, I'm just like holding a fuck ton of pain. I'm just having a really hard time managing. My grief has like, I think I'm like in the next layer down. I've like excavated beyond the acute grief and now I'm in like the deeper grief that has a little bit of longevity. And I did some breath work just by myself on New Year's Eve day. And I was just like, wow, like I, um, I'm holding more pain than I like even should have space for. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like aware of that. And I'm not always engaged in it. In fact, I'm honestly kind of like distracting myself from it but I did sit down and try to find a new therapist and so I have my first session with a new therapist next week so I'm looking forward to that because I can't do it alone and I shouldn't try to do it alone 
and I could definitely use some, just somebody else to hold some space for me as I just try to process and integrate, you know, like this thing that happened to me, right? Like losing your mom is one of the worst things that can ever happen to you. And at the same time, it's something that hopefully does happen to everyone. Cause if it doesn't happen to you, it means that you've passed before your parents, which isn't, you know, ideally the way you want things to go. Right. So it's like, it's a terrible thing that you hope will happen to you someday. Cause if it doesn't, it means, it means something went horribly wrong. I mean, even Cher, right? Cher is how old? 75. Yeah. She just lost her mom. Mm-hmm. Georgia. I can't believe that Cher and I lost our mom in the same year. It I just know. it just speaks to like how we are deeply connected on a soul level, even if she doesn't know who I am. From the same constellation. We are. I think we we are from the same constellation. From the Pleiades. We're one of the two of the seven sisters of the Pleiades. <laughs> and if the other five of you are out there, let us know. Yes. It's time for a reunion show. So that's where I am. That's how I am. Starting slow. I certainly have the intention to really step into the invitation of 2023, which is all about the chariot, right? It's about using your will and figuring out what success is and how to go after it. But right now, I'm trying my hardest to be really gentle with myself, which is not something I am particularly good at, you know? Like, in the evening, I'll be like, okay, tomorrow you're just going to like, read and just like take it easy all day and then I wake up and I'm like what are you gonna do and I'm like oh no wait you were gonna take it easy and I'm like you can't take it easy you have to assert some semblance of discipline in the world but you know what I do want to do I was given a audio cassette by my old therapist Don who was on the program whom we adore it's this cassette called Medicine Path by Johnny Moses who is an indigenous storyteller and healer. And this is from like 1997 and I've got it in the wrapping because I was like, well, one day I will find a like cassette player and I will listen to it. And then I realized we have a cassette player cause we grabbed it from my mom's house yeah, and it's only like 57 minutes. And I was just like, I have to just like sit and listen to it. It's got, like healing songs and stories could be really great. Yeah. I definitely sold copies of that. Did you? At the Psychic Eye bookshop in San Francisco. It's an authentic collection of chants and lore from the Northwest tribes, showing how stories and everyday acts can serve anyone as powerful medicines for healing. So I might do that this afternoon. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I don't know. You're supposed to, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's how I am. I'm a jumbled mess. Has anyone out there listened to Medicine Path? Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I'm going to ask you how you're doing in a second. I'm just wondering if there's anything else I want to say about me. Oh, I'm going to get a tattoo, you guys. So I've decided after years of hemming and hawing and going back and forth and changing my mind that I'm going to get my very first tattoo on my birthday, which is February 15th. And I am just like slowly starting to take the steps to figure out like where and when it's going to be, because I want the tattoo to happen like during my actual solar return, which is a crazy solar return chart. But I feel like getting a tattoo 
and the tattoo I'm going to get and the placement of it. It's all like, it just feels very cosmically organized. I'm very excited about that. But if you know any really great tattoo artists in Los Angeles, let me know because I haven't quite landed, I think, on the right artist yet. Okay, that's it. That's all I have for this moment. What about you, my boo? How are you doing today? What about me? I guess I, too, have just been um, trying to navigate this whole, like, slow and steady start to things. Um, I feel like in these last days as we're recording this in the uh mars retrograde it is really important to ask what is it that motivates me and has been motivating me and should be motivating me and i feel like that questions come up uh a lot yeah a lot and i just want to like sit with that in some ways because you know at the moment we are in winter here it's a very internal moment that hibernation moment and i can however feel the pull of spring (laughs) the pull of you're gonna you're gonna emerge you're gonna need to emerge And I want to have some real clarity and focus of direction in regards to what that emergence is going to entail. And just like where I'm putting my time and energy. So that's kind of where my head's been at. It's like just partially recognizing what motivates me partially recognizing too that i'm motivated a lot of the times by this fear to get stuff done to be productive to be purposeful and it's been really helpful to like pull myself back from that place when i get into it uh when i start to feel this sense of like oh i should be doing something yeah what is that fear though Like, it's not the fear of doing something. It's the fear of, like, not doing something, right? Yeah. And then, like, what the consequences of that will be? Yeah. I wonder if you could name that fear. It's a fear of death. Oh. (laughs) Oh. I think. Got it. Yeah. I think it's a fear of death that lives underneath the surface of things that, you know... But what if I die without having done the thing? Yeah. Fair. And I think that that then shows up in other forms, right? That That's like the big baseline fear, but it then populates other things, you know, gives birth to the like, do, do the, the laundry that's on, that's piled up right now, you know, because you might not get to it. You know, or it might become too much, you know, Listen, or it might. I just want you to know if you die, I'll do the laundry. <laughs> It'll get done. Yeah, I guess you could look up on YouTube how to work the machine. That is so rude. <laughs> I know how to work the machine. And also there is a fluff and fold down the street. <laughs> you are not going to a fluff and fold. I'm not? No. 
the go- your ghost will be like, don't you take oh, cause the you're clothes. Just gonna, oh, because you would just drop it off. Yeah, I'll just drop it oh, off. Okay. <laughs> what did you think I was going to do with a fluff and Why would you do that? We have perfectly good washing machines in here. See, this is why I I don't can't. know, because I'll be in grief, because you're dead. All right. I don't even want to talk about my hypothetical death right now, because I'm afraid. But that's, I think, I do think that's a big part of, like, just in general. And I, I, I think that is something that, like, motivates culture and society too on some level you know this fear of disappearance um and i don't know maybe that's like more personal no i think it's i think it's really cool to explore that uh, especially the fear of disappearance right like yeah we talk a lot about like legacy and what are you going to leave behind and it's a way to kind of like assert yourself even after you're gone but eventually, it all dissipates. Yeah, and it's or it has in the past. I mean, who knows what will happen in the future, right? Like, with technology, we might be able to like go to your Instagram page for a hundred thousand years after you're gone, right? Like, you could still yeah. exist in ways that, like, our ancestors don't exist, and there's no way really to, right, right, know them. But yeah, I think that is like an interesting word right legacy and i think that has been like on some strange level like something that's like come up around this mars retrograde of just specifically in gemini i'm speaking but if nobody hears me speak does it matter and i think it comes down to well what's motivating the speaking the speaking yeah. That's kind of like a crystallization of Mars and Gemini and the retrograde question that it can bring up. Yeah. Are you speaking because you want someone to hear you? Because you need the validation? Or because you just have something passionate in your heart to share and... You want it to be witnessed. Right. Which is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not here to exist in isolation. We're here to witness each other for sure. I think so. But I also think the shadow of that is what we see in social media, which is this inability to self-validate. And so we're all seeking so much validation, like too much witnessing, like witness everything, witness my outfit of the day, witness me baking bread, right? Where it can just be like, well, my heart, my heart's here. My heart's witnessing the baking of the bread. Like, isn't that enough? Yeah. Yeah, I like almost can't go that deep into TikTok because I'm so overwhelmed by how many people are on it. Yeah. And how many people are generating so much content. Content. Yeah. Yeah, it's like mind-blowing to me. Well, because it's a way to not actually be with yourself because you are supplementing your own presence with other people's witnessing of you. So because you're uncomfortable being with yourself, you perform yourself and you make other people's eyes and ears be your own, but it's one step removed. So it's easier, you know? Maybe, yeah. And you don't have to confront, you don't have to confront like the potential meaninglessness, right? Like when you're alone in the bathtub, you have to be like, does this matter? Does anybody care? I'm alone in like a hot body of water. But if all of a sudden it like, you have a TikTok about it. You're like, well, and this matters. Like I'm performing the bath. Like it, 
It creates an illusion of meaning because other people are there. Yeah, and I, I don't think I don't want to generalize everyone who's on there. But I have, I did. <laughs> They're all worthless. Yeah, I don't no, want to generalize I'm, it. I'm totally kidding um, by any means, but sharing is good. But we become like yeah. addicted to sharing. We're oversharing. We're we're sharing in place of self-reflecting, in place of self-validating. Well, and I think it's also just uh, there's just a capitalism component to it as well. Because if you can get successful on there, then you can make a living out of it. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that's part of it too. Is that people are driven by this hope that yeah. they'll create the thing that clicks that then you know gets them an endorsement deal with del taco thank you for bringing the c word into all of this and just really quickly this episode is sponsored by del taco love that crunch (laughs) (laughs) i actually don't think i've ever eaten a del taco in my entire (laughs) life is that their love that no it's i have no idea what their i have no idea what their fucking (laughs) logo is but that was pretty that was pretty good right Love that, crunch. love that crunch. Uh, will you make us like just a spiritual gaze, <laughs> like Cam? Just like an, I want, I want a post that just says the spiritual gaze, a picture of us, and it just says love that crunch. Yeah, but bottom. I'm gonna find a way to like put Lisa Barlow on that <laughs> somehow, because you know that bitch loves Del Taco. Oh, she loves that crunch. She loves that crunch. Do you know what? Okay. I don't blame her. But I'm glad you brought capitalism into this because as we were talking about Mars and Gemini and just questioning our own motivation around things. I just wanted to voice that I think it's really hard to pull out the thread of your own motivation from like the quilt of, from like the quilt of capitalism because capitalism wants you to consume. It wants you to monetize everything. And so when you start to like peel back the layers of your own motivation, you just find it's like, Oh, money. Oh, money. Oh, I'm doing this because I want to make money. And of course, because we live in fucking capitalism, we all do have to make money or else we're not literally going to be able to feed ourselves or house ourselves or clothe ourselves. But it is the spiritual gaze after all. So there is this other road to walk, which is like, what's the spiritual motivation behind these things? And Angel and I, we just had this like really deep conversation about the future of the spiritual gaze and spoiler alert, it's not going anywhere, but about like the different things that motivate us. You know, why do we, why are we going to have done this for five years? You know, why do we keep showing up? And our motivations are different and, and it is a business, but we're also trying to separate the financial motivations from really the deeper motivations. Like we didn't start this podcast to make money and spoiler alert, we don't make money from (laughs) it and yet we still show up for it. Not yet. Love that crunch. Love that crunch. I mean, listen, I wouldn't say no to a sponsor, but it would have to be like a sponsor I actually like connected with. Yeah, no, I would only want a sponsor of something that I actually used myself. Yeah. I was trying to think of something like really embarrassing and mean to say. And then I thought, why? Why do that? Yeah. To your beloved. Yeah. Why do that? I think you need to sit with yourself. I know why. And, it's because I'm an Aries fucking rising. And you I know, like what are my motivations? push buttons and I, you know. I those speak before like, I think. Those sound like excuses, not motivation. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, this was a very big check-in, but I think this was a good conversation. Me too. All right. Well, we can rush through. 
a dose of reality. Well, I don't want to rush through because there's a lot to cover, but let's just... Cállate, we have to get going. Okay. All right. Um, I think the biggest thing to talk about is the return of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. Because it's been gone for a while. And I, I almost started to miss it. Yeah. I took the break. I wanted to watch all 17 of the other drag races that occurred, you know, drag race, Philippines and more Spain and more France and more Canada versus the world. But we didn't didn't watch any of it. We didn't do it. We took a long break. A hiatus. We had to cleanse our palate so that we could come back fresh, neutral. And I'm glad we did because I'm really excited by it. I thought the premiere was great. Ariana Grande was the uh, guest judge. She did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. She was no Gaga, but she was good. She did a great job. Um, and there were, I think, a group of fantastic queens. Very strong. Surprising. Queens. Speaking of TikTok, that was like a big thing that you had these like new TikTok, you know, drag the, queen celebrities, the twins. social media stars. Well, there were a few others who were also oh. like, yeah, I'm big on TikTok who right. had never even like performed live. Live. Um, it was very interesting just to see that that's like the evolution of the drag form. Yeah. And I've noticed that. I mean, I've definitely noticed uh, just people that I know who are drag queens who are, you know, finding ways to like beef up, you know, or or at least are like putting a lot of intention into social media to like create that platform because um, it is the greatest way to showcase yourself and your work. But So who are your top three favorite queens based on first impression? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. I had to pull up the list so I could reference. I think, well, Anitra. Me too. Yeah. Vegas queen. She won the first main stage challenge mm-hmm. with her duck walk, kung fu. Yes, um, was so funny. Even if you don't watch Drag Race, just like find her like sixty second talent show performance because it was amazing. Oh my god, it was so so good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Anitra's. Um, but yeah, I think Anitra is up there for me. Uh, I also really love. Uh, mistress mistress that's my that's one of my top two top fierce three as well fierce we have the same top two of the top three yeah yeah super fiercey fierce yeah um i love when she was like i didn't have this made for the show i just had this in my closet <laughs> yeah. and it was this just like outrageous rhinestone outfit and i was like that's the real deal right there yeah well i also love that she like carries herself with like the air of someone who's been doing it for 20 years, but she's like 24. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but she like has a real respect for the art form. Yeah. And like, you know, there's like a, an arrogance to her that like kind of precedes her years, but like, but she's also she carries it really. Well. Yeah. But she's mother. Like, Cause elegantly? she like helped. Who did she help? Like glue her wig down. Uh, one of the twins. One of the twins. She was like, do you not even know that that's a lace front and you're supposed to put glue on it. Yeah. So like she is, she has the confidence that maybe you know borders on cockiness but then she's also there to help a girl yeah she's got a lot of empress energy yeah i'm here for it um but yeah i really liked her and then you know there there's kind then just kind of like an array no 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 of ladies for me no 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 after that no you've missed it well 
who is it? Who is the person for you? Sasha Colby. Well, of, yes, Sasha Colby is. Sasha Colby. Is grand elegance. The body. Yes, for sure. All right, well, those are my top three. It's You know what, it's good. It's good that we're not same, same. You know, how boring would that be? Yeah, I because I actually, yeah, for me, like, my third place is, like, a little, like, I can't really land on one. Oh. Because I really, like... I loved, yeah, Sasha and that gorgeous runway look. I loved Marsha, Marsha, Marsha and that like hysterical like ballet number. And I'm like intrigued by what's there. And I also really loved Jax and that like jump rope routine was so brilliant and she funny. She jump roped with her own yeah, hair. Yeah, she jump roped with her own hair, you know. But like, but they all, for me, those three all have like, there's like, a thing that's still a little off that I haven't, I'm like, mm, but I still need to see more of that. Or I still need to see more of that. And I feel that way for others. Like spice is one of those for me. And, um, I have a total love soft spot for Lux, uh, more London. Who's just kind of like this, like slightly obnoxious baby queen, but she like has such fierce like charisma i'm just like totally obsessed with her so there's just like things i'm like super curious to watch i'm excited for like the cast as a whole agreed the evolution yeah for sure and i hope we get some really fun guest judges like they should be able to get anybody they want at this point i'm sure they do yeah well they still haven't been able to get Cher. well that's they still true. haven't been able to get madonna well you'll never get madonna yeah, but you could get Cher. Yeah, of course. I think Cher at some point could turn up like as the like premier <gasps> judge. I don't know. Rue has said it's always been like that it almost happened once, but then it was just a scheduling thing. Yeah. So I actually think like Cher like will show up. Yeah. I think. I think that's true. Uh, whereas, yeah, Madonna is probably like, I'm just too busy. Well, yeah. She just doesn't have. Her ego doesn't have the time. Mm, yeah. Um, but those are like the two, I guess, I would want to see of the people who haven't done it. Well, I mean, and obviously every other grand diva. Like, I'd love to see Janet Jackson as a guest. I was judge. about she to say, be that'd be amazing. Yeah. She actually would be amazing. She'd, she'd be, be so kind. Sweet. And, but, I, but then I think her Scorpio would come out too, and she'd be like, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think her Scorpio polarity would show up as well. Yeah. Isn't she Scorpio rising? That makes sense. Right? I don't know. Now I want to check. All right. Well, while I check, what's what what's the biggest piece of Housewives news you want to talk about? I want to celebrate the disappearance of Lisa Rinna. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite Housewives. I was on her side for so many seasons but she got swallowed up by a darkness, and I don't think even she could say where that darkness emanated from. But the last couple of seasons have been hard, and I feel like she's just been making a mess of things in place of having a personality. And I want to remember her and all of the great iconic things that she brought and I don't want to remember her with a bad taste in my mouth. And so I think it's good that she's leaving now before it got even worse because I think it would get worse. And in like six months, I'm going to miss Lisa Rinna and I'm going to remember all the great things she did. Mm -hmm. And I hope that she finds a way to be happy with herself. 
Wow. Because I know what she's going through. Because she's in a lot of grief. She lost her mom. Oh, my God. Did Lisa Rinna share and me all lose our moms in the same year? Or did Lisa Rinna lose her mom the year before and it was just then broadcast? Yeah, probably more. That, that makes more sense. But I know she's going through a hard time, you know? Yeah. So I hope she finds a way to pick herself up and move on to the next chapter of her life. But I'm glad that she's not coming back because I needed a break. And I think a lot of people did. And I know there might be a few of you out there who are disagreeing with me and yelling at your iPhone <laughs> or your radio or whatever it is you're listening to this on. But I had had enough. There's just a lot of darkness. There's too much darkness, you know? Yeah. And it was like a... It wasn't even a darkness masquerading as anything but just darkness, you know? And I didn't like it. Yeah, I get that. I want my housewives to fight and then kiss and make up and then move on and fight about something else, you know? And Lisa Rinna, and she's not the only one, especially on Beverly Hills, God, they hold grudges for fucking ever. I know. That's what makes it the most challenging like, sometimes. Draining yeah. of them. So that's my big housewives news is I'm celebrating the release of Lisa Rinna so that she can find herself in a new realm and do new things that bring value to herself in the world. I like that. I'm proud of you. Thank you. That's an evolution. Thank you. She's a teacher, Lisa Rinna. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mean to be, but she is. Also a challenging mother force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely like the empress in shadow. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Janet is an Aries moon, Scorpio rising. Knew it, told you. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember what, and now that, rem that was, because I was trying to remember, you know, what Janet and I talked about when I met her, you know, because we talked astrology. This is real, y'all. Angel did meet <laughs> Janet Jackson and they did talk <laughs> And astrology. I remember now that we talked about the her Aries moon because I said that I was an Aries and she was like, oh, I think my, that's my moon. And I was like, oh, so that's your inner self. And she was like, is it? And then that. Uh, and then she was like, well, I'll have to have you do my chart sometime. And I was like, that'll never happen. But I was so just to have Janet Jackson say, you'll ha have to do my chart sometime was enough. But if you're listening, <laughs> we'll do it for free. Just the fact that I got to talk to Janet Jackson and like about astrology and her eyes lit up like you're an astrologer. Yeah. That's so cool. Just that you made like, her eyes. Oh, light up. oh, my God. I could just live there forever. Well, I'm glad you don't because uh, Vegas is far. <laughs> well, I just mean I, in that sliver of the space-time continuum. Well, I'm glad you don't live there because then I would never be able to access you. I mean, I could pull you into it I mean, that's okay. every now and then. And sure. in one iteration, we give her a spiritual gaze experience. Right reading, there, backstage. Right there. And like everyone's like, Janet, we got to go. And she's like, no. Ah, like, we're in it. I'm in the middle of an experience with the spiritual gaze. Yes. And then just like all the lights fade down and we're just like sitting in like her bed a pool of blackness. Yeah. But like gorgeous, like maybe like a chandelier oh. hanging above us. Wow. And like the velvet rope playing just like <laughs> quietly. This sounds like you've done some time thinking about this fantasy. It's very specific. <sighs> I just did it now. What's the one big piece of housewives gossip that you want to speak to? Honestly, uh, there's, uh, there's so much of it. Yes. But I think the one that like I'm <laughs> most excited <laughs> about, most excited about is the just recent announcement of Alex McCord's return to the housewives universe. How Alex McCord was a very early New York housewife. Yes. Who then like 
exiled herself and her family to Australia. She did. And has been gone for like a decade. and At least. Is now returning to the like ultimate girls trip. It's essentially like the Real Housewives All-Stars series. Is going like on a... A big ladies trip to to Morocco. Morocco. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Morocco. It's a wild cast. It's very grab bag. Yeah, it's. I mean, they they're basically, I think, trying to brand this whole like ex wives club uh, thing that they created one with one of the other girls trips. So they're bringing back some other ladies who were on one already, like yeah. Brandy Glanville. So she's coming back. Phaedra Parks, Queen of the ex wives. Uh, yeah, but then they're also throwing in like Camille. That I was my excitement. Yes. yes, Camille, crazy Camille, Camille. Donatacci, <laughs> and and Caroline Manzo, who I'm also very excited about because I just recently have swarmed myself with the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Yeah, Angel jumped me in, and we're deep now. We're deep in the New Jersey drama, and I have to say, loving it. I'm loving it. I'm really loving it, and I'm glad I saved it. Me you know? too. And yeah, it's it's come at a time when I needed it most. Yeah. All right. No more of this. That no. was not a short one. No, but how could it be? It's been, <laughs> there's been so much. We didn't even talk about so much that happened. And honestly, there's one thing that we're deliberately not talking about because who cares? Yeah. Got we're enough. not going to talk about it. Everyone's heard about it. We're not going to talk about it. And the thing we really should be talking about is the massive fight that's going on between Karen Huger and Cha Cha. But. We won't talk about that either. Maybe we'll talk about the we next episode. We won't talk about Sesame Street. Oh, that like, Sesame yeah, Street Potomac's character. Been great. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but we're going to move on. Because we have to get into... We know that only a fraction of you care. Yeah. We know that for some of you, this is why you tune in. But we know that yeah. for most of you, you're like, well, you fucking homosexuals <laughs> just get to the astrology already. And we'll bring it up more on our next episode, just to drop briefly. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a radio, an, another sort of listener call-in A call-in show. show. That we did um, a while back, and we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So, um, and that featured uh, a fun dose of reality moment with um, Shawnee Mims. Shawnee Mims, yes, our housewives historian in house, yes, our in house housewives historian. So we'll we'll bring up more of this in housewives historian in housewives historian. Yeah, but Shawnee needs to jump into New Jersey as well, so we can just all be. Name it. Check the <laughs> newsletter. Check the Instagram. It's going to be a Zoom link. And yeah. if you have questions or if you just want to chat with us or, you know, you want to disagree with me about Lisa Rinna's disappearance, like, I'm ready. We're ready. We're ready. But, but I hope you're ready yes. for this episode's Deep, Deep Dive. Dive. So as we mentioned earlier, this is a series that we are starting for the year where we're going to be exploring the houses. Because, you know, most everybody has an understanding of the signs, even if it's rudimentary, you know, the signs. And people are starting to learn about the planets, which is great. But I think the place where a lot of people get tripped up or where it's just kind of a giant goose egg in their heads are with the houses. What are the houses? And they're super important and they can just give so much depth to your astrological understanding. And so we thought we would do a public service and we're going to break down the houses so that you can use this in your astrology arsenal to help you make sense of your chart of the world of the cosmos. Because it is really a grand equation. Sign plus planet plus house equals you. And we know that not everyone 
knows their birth time, uh, which is a a big part of generating your own specific equation. Yeah. Um, but there are still ways to utilize the houses for yourself, even if you don't know it. And uh, I would say uh, if you don't know your birth time, but you have a curiosity about how the houses play with you, what you could do is just take like your moon placement, you know, and, and then over the course of this next year, as we talk about the houses, see where it feels like, oh, this is where I, you know, am most emotionally at home. You know, it's this area. It's this house where I really look to get my emotional needs met. Right. Know, it's like a I mystery home. that you exactly. can solve for yourself because the yes. houses essentially are where they're the where in the sky and they're the where in your life. Where does this energy want to show up? So depending on the house that you have the moon is basically saying like, this is where all that moon energy wants to exhibit itself. Yes. It's your own knives out astrology mystery. Yes. And you can unravel that glass onion. So there are 12 houses and we're going to just cover one per episode. And so hopefully if we don't fuck up or take a pause, we'll get through them all by the end of the year. <laughs> and the houses are a way to break up the space, yeah, to break up the sky and to organize it. And so the way that we can think to organize it or not that we thought to do it, we're just inheriting this tradition. The ancients realized, okay, well, there's the horizon. There's where the sun rises and there's where the sun sets. And then there's also, you know, high noon when the sun is at the highest point in the sky. And then there's midnight, you know? Yeah. And that's why location matters, right? Because the sunrise and the sunset are different. Exactly. Based on where you are. And so that creates these four angles, right? The ascendant, which is where the sun rises, the descendant, which is where the sun sets, and then the midheaven and the icy, which we'll talk about in a couple of months. And so just that gives you four quadrants. And then how you break up those quadrants is how you get the houses. So each quadrant has three houses, and so that gets you 12. And so what this helps us do is understand where this energy wants to show up in our lives. But I think the most important thing we say just at the beginning is in the same way that your body has a hand and a foot and a leg and a heart, but it's all your body, the houses are the same thing too. They're separate, but they're part of a whole. Even the Zodiac, we talk about it as a progression. Aries evolves into Taurus, evolves into Gemini, grows into Cancer, and the houses are the same way. So they are specific and individual, but they're also part of a whole, and it's important to remember that. Yeah, and that whole is, you know, what looks like a zodiac wheel in astrology, which is a.k.a. your birth chart. And like the body is a wonderland, the birth chart is a map. Well, I was going to ask if I can read a quote, but body is a wonderland is already a quote. <laughs> By little known astrologer, John Mayer. Uh, this is a quote from a really great book uh, called The Twelve Houses, if you're interested in doing a deeper dive by Howard Susportus. And Howard says, houses are not separate, isolated, dangling segments of life. Conceived in their totality, they unfold a process of supreme significance, the story of the emergence and development of a human being. And so that's why we need the houses. Yeah. Because they help us understand the process of our own emergence. 
So just breaking it down, you know, each of these 12 houses represents a different area of our lives, whether it be relationships, creativity, career, et cetera, et cetera. Sex. Sex. Um, and then, you know, the sun, the moon, and each of the planets, the asteroids, et cetera, they all fall into one of these 12 houses when you are born. And I think a way we like to look at it, at like a birth chart, is, you know, if the chart itself is one large house. A mansion. A mansion. A manse. Yes. Then the houses are the rooms in the house. Yeah. Um, another way I even like to look at a birth chart is, you know, we're looking at like an illustrated course schedule for a semester of school, you know, and each house is a different subject that you're taking classes in. And you may not be taking classes in every subject. Just like you have such a large mansion that you may not spend a lot of time in some of those rooms. Exactly. There might be a room or two that you basically never go into. Yeah. So some houses may have a planet in them, may have five planets in them, may have no planets in them. And so if you have, you know, one planet in there, Think of it as, yeah, I'm taking a class in there. I'm spending, you know, I spend a day in there. And uh, if you have five planets in there, then you look at it as like, oh, I'm, that's my major. You're getting a PhD, honey. Yeah, you're getting a PhD in that section of life. Um, and then I think important to mention the whole concept of empty houses because I would feel like whenever I do a chart reading for people, like that's when I bring that up, they're like, okay, so what about all those houses with nothing in them? And they are technically called empty houses, but that does not like, mean that that part of your life is just empty. Um, I just like to think of it as that, you know, it's not the emphasis. They're for this clear. Life. I think that generally like an empty house is a clear house. Right. There's still things to learn. You can look at the sign that rules it. For sure. Um, and we have what are called transits. Yeah. So, you know, planets are going to move through that house and awaken it. Right. So you will find yourself coming up with challenges or you know growth opportunities in those areas of life but yeah energetically you i think um come in clearer to I, that yeah i think there's an ease with space. those houses if they're empty or also maybe it's just like there's no karma to clean up there if that's something that you believe in it's a place that if you're imagining monopoly it's like a free parking space you know uh-huh. Like, it's a safe place to be. There's not going to be a lot of drama. There also might not be a lot of reward there, you know? Right. But that's okay. Because not every part of your chart can be, a, you know, a rip-roaring adventure. Or else we'd all be strung out. <laughs> like Lisa Rinna. Okay. Okay. I just had to get it in. So that's just like a quick coverage of the houses in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so that everyone understands that. So we are going to talk about the first house. Today we're talking about the first house and the first house alone. Yes. Which is how she wants it. And you might notice that there are 12 houses and there are 12 signs of the zodiac. Now, I think that the houses and the zodiac signs have resonance with each other. So you can think about the first house and the first sign of the zodiac Aries. And you can go, okay, yes, they resonate with each other, but they're not interchangeable. It's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think really 
basic astrologers supplant one for the other. But the truth is, is that they both have resonance with each other because they're in the same place of progression, but they might have different themes. Mm -hmm. So Aries is about emergence, initiation, and so is the first house because they're both the first, either sign of the zodiac or the first house. But they're not the same thing. They just might have some similarities. Right. Which I just think is like a important thing to say so that you can approach learning these houses with a little bit more sophistication. Yeah. No, I think that is important. So if we were looking at the uh, at the Zodiac Wheel as a blueprint for a large mansion. Yes. We would consider the first house the foyer. Yes. And if home. you're actually looking at a chart, it's 9 o'clock. It's 9 p.m. Yes. That's the horizon line from 9 to 3. Yeah. And you'll see the letters AC usually there because that is shorthand for Ascendant. And Ascendant is your rising. So the rising and the first house do on some level go hand in hand. Um, you know, the rising is the gateway to the to the chart and to yourself, to your way of expressing in the world. You know, I like to look at the rising as also being the face. And we've done a whole episode on the rising before. So yeah. you can go back and listen to that, get a little more uh, distinct clarity on the rising. But it is necessary to talk about when you talk about the first house because... It essentially, you know, they walk hand in hand. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about how this house can be symbolized as the foyer because it's your first hit of the house that you're walking into. And it also could be just the curb appeal. Like that first house or that ascendant, it's like what you see when you're pulling up to the house. Because the Ascendant is, like Angel said, the face. It's it's not just how you are perceived, but it's also the lens through which you are perceiving. So in some ways, the sign that sits on your Ascendant or that you know composes the majority of your first house or all of your first house, it's what you look for. It's the style in which you approach the world. Mm -hmm. So like I'm an Aries rising, I approach the world as a chase, as an adventure, as something to like go out and be conquered, you know? I can't help but bring a natural competitiveness to things because of that Aries quality. Yeah. And that's because it, it is like an energy you just inherently exude, you know, that you show up as. Uh, you know, I always like to think of the rising as the face because it is like, like a first impression, so to speak. And so... I think it is important to commingle those two, right? Because uh, that allows you to deepen your relationship uh, with your authentic self, your authentic nature, to intertwine how people perceive you, the you know, and how that energy that is emanating off you with what it is you're compelled to do and and how you are compelled to uh, show up. Yeah, you see what you look for. So if the rising sign is what you're looking for, it's also going to be what's reflected back to you because you are what you pay attention to. Yeah. And I want to offer up this quote by Liz Green, who's a great astrologer. And she says, the sun is the kind of hero we are, but the ascendant is the quest on which we must embark. Mm -hmm. So in order to fully realize your sun sign, your ascendant shows you the sort of mythic 
journey you are going to embark on. So what we should say is there are different systems of house division. There are quite a few, actually, and different astrologers throughout time have figured out their own equations for how to divvy up the sky. And the system that we use is called Placidus, but there are other systems. The system in which we use would sometimes make it so that you have multiple signs in one house. But it's important to be aware of what sign starts the house, because that really gives you that first flavor of the energy of it. So just in case you're looking at your chart and you're confused, because you're like, well, my first house is Aries and Taurus. It's like, yes, that's possible. But if you use whole sign astrology, then you're only ever going to have one sign per house. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll have like an energy to it. Uh, let's just say uh, as more definition that the house, uh, the first house rules our self-image, our identity, you know, in some levels our personality. So, you know, as a Taurus rising, I obviously am going to like have very Taurian traits that connect to my identity, but I also have Gemini in my first house. So there will be some Gemini pieces to my identity as well. Yeah. But Taurus is the ruler, is the leader of that first house energy. Yeah. So when we look to the first house and looking perhaps even at planets in the first house, these are energies that are going to be expressed in the selfhood of the native. The first house is known as the house of self. It's the house of personality. It's, I think, also the house of timing. Like whatever sign sits on your ascendant and fills into the first house, it's the style of timing in which you just naturally bring to things. So as an Aries rising, I'm very impatient. I'm always moving at a fast clip. Angel's a Taurus rising. He likes to linger. He likes to move more slowly. If you're a Pisces rising, you have no time. You're on like dream time, you know? If you're a Capricorn rising, your sense of timing is more about like looking towards the future and goal setting. You're looking at a bigger sense of time. And so it's just something I've been playing with that, you know, if, if we think about the chart as a clock, that first house kind of gives us a sense of like, what's the, even like BPM, you know, like what's the beats per minute that this clock beats at? So yeah, so that first house, you know, it helps to really just like deepen your relationship with yourself. So yeah, as you were saying, if there are any planets in there, that helps to uh, just give an even greater understanding as to what that deepening or how that deepening wants to happen. Yeah. You know, in what areas. So I know you have planets in your first house. I do. So share with us those and how they show up for you. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to understand that if you have planets in your first house, you might embody those planets to other people. Those planets are very visible. So I have Mars and Venus in Aries in my first house. And so I can come across as combative or aggressive. Who said that? Because that's Mars. But beautifully, beautifully so, because I've got Venus there who kind of tempers it. So it maybe makes it like a little bit more playful or um, I look gorgeous while I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, but there's this there's this interplay. You know, I, I have Mars and Venus basically conjunct in the first house which for me personally I also think was really useful in helping me unpack my 
identity as a non-binary person, mm-hmm. right? That like Mars and Venus, both in my first house, is my desire to express both of these things, both the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Oh, uh-huh. You know? Are there other ways that you feel Mars and Venus show up, uh, particularly in like regards to how you perceive the world? Yeah. But I want to answer that by taking a step back and talking about the idea that the first house can also indicate the influences around our childhood and our upbringing. Mm-hmm. Because the first house is the house of self, but I don't necessarily think that it's like the house of the ego. It's not like the self that knows itself. It's the impulses of the self that haven't yet fully crystallized into the construction of self. I think that's later, like more like third house and then maybe even like eighth house. But the first house is just like what influences were really around you in your childhood growing up. So it's that inner child. It's the inner child, but it's also, I think, like... The, <laughs> the gateway to the wounded child. <laughs> yeah, or the self-realized child. It's it's also like a clue into understanding the like environmental influences, the atmosphere of your upbringing. Got it. Yeah, so for yeah. me, Mars and Venus in the first house speaks to what influences were there. So Mars is like everything is a fight. Mm-hmm. Mars is you have to go out and take action. Mars is like, what are you going to do with your, you know, opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was very much part of the resourcing that was... That was very much part of the messaging that I was getting growing up. And then there's also Venus there, which is like money, right? Which is like, what do you value? What are your resources? So it's like looking out at the world. It's like, you got to fight for money. You got to fight to make your mark on the world. But Venus also just wants to enjoy herself too. So I, I had in some ways with Mars and Venus, these rather contrary forces coming at me growing up. And so the way that they have informed my own viewpoint on the world is that sometimes I want to work really hard and sometimes I just want to rest and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the world seems like a really hard place and you have to fight for your spot in it and other times it looks like there's a war going on because it is Aries for me in my in my first house, but I can be Venus in it. Like, I don't have to necessarily engage. I don't have to fight. I can pull myself out of it. Right. Sometimes you can be Art Pop Gaga. And sometimes you can be Chromatica Gaga. Joanne. And sometimes you can be Joanne. (laughs) Yeah, and I also have Eris and Black Moon Lilith in Aries in the first house as well. Mm -hmm. So that's the repressed feminine Black Moon Lilith. And that was certainly part of the influences that I experienced growing up, like a lot of misogyny, a lot of very traditional gender roles, watching like my mom try to fight her way out from under that and never being seen as who she really was. Also, Eris, you know, which is about necessary tension and crisis. Eris comes in to stir the pot, but it's a pot that we need stirred so that we can transmute it or transform it in some way and so i can be like spiky i mean angel tells me all the time that like my tone can be not great and i don't know that it's just these are all these planets you know like mars and and eris and black moon lilith are in my first house i i can just be spiky sometimes i don't mean to be spiky 
It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm loud. I'm instinctual and also prone to crossing the street before I look both ways. And sometimes that gets me where I'm going faster. And sometimes that gets me in a whole lot of trouble. What about you? What do you have in the first house and how does that express itself? Uh, well, I have Jupiter in the first house. Which is why you're so popular and everybody loves you. <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, why I have like a bent toward optimism. You know, like I have an ability to lighten things up. Uh, I'm sure sometimes that's a detriment. <laughs> seen as a detriment by others that I'm just trying to lighten something up when it needs to be taken seriously. Um, but yeah, I think my Jupiter tends to just kind of like uh, give like uh, a sense of buoyancy. And I do think on some level it may have created like a percep, like a, a, like a delusional perception of life in some ways, like the world, like as growing up, I think like, you know, the world is so big and I can like be anything. Yeah. I can be anything and go anywhere without, and like without thinking of like the reality of it. Um, but I also think that that's like, you know, it's a fine line, right? Cause that can also be a really helpful thing to just kind of like have that, again joyful optimism of like yes i can be anything and the world can be anything and you co-create your reality so right. there's something to be said for that i want to share this quote by howard that says we dream the world up according to the sign on the ascendant and then we enact the dream and i think the same is true for any planets that are there as well so you have a jupiterian dream of the world and you enact that which is beautiful yeah yeah, I bet I think it's funny too, just like the Taurus component of it as well. Like my dad always like loved to joke that like, you know, the day I discovered room service like ruined everything, you know, because like I was like, wait, you can just like call and order food and they'll bring it to you. And like, you know, like I had just like was so overwhelmed by like, and I can just lay in bed here and eat it, you know, like in this hotel room. And that there was like no going back at that point because then I just was like, well, I want room. It was like the first thing I would want when we would get, get to a hotel. I'd be like, well, let's order room service and be like, well, we're going to just go somewhere. And I'd be like, why? <laughs> you can just order French fries to the room and they'll just bring it here and we can just sit in this great room, you know? Um, I think that was like a perception of the world for me of like, you know, just kind of wanting like comfort and you know, having it available to me, you know, having whatever I want available to me uh, in the most comfortable space that I've created for myself. Yeah. An expansion of like luxury and comfort. I mean, yeah. can very much be Jupiter and Taurus. Right. And I think this is a good segue or just a a roadside attraction where we can express that even if you don't have any planets in your first house, when planets move through your first house, it awakens these things. So, Angel just talked about having Jupiter 
in Taurus, and Jupiter is currently moving through Aries, but will be in Taurus later this year. So for both Angel and I, Jupiter's moving through our first houses in sequence, first me in Aries, where it is right now, and then in Taurus, where Angel is. And when Jupiter moves through your first house, it does increase your exposure in the world, because you have this planet, Jupiter, that's a big planet that wants to bring you optimism, and it also, in your first house, expands your sense of self. So when you know what your first house is, you can start to track planets moving through them and awakening certain aspects or places in your life. Yeah. We can also expand like your literal self and appearance. Which, which is why I have my, to stop making the bread. Yeah, because my pants are feeling tighter. Mm. Um, but but yeah, that's it. And I think that that's just like um, helpful for everyone to know that, yeah, like regardless of planets there or not, you are going to have a first house experience and your identity, your personality, yeah, your self-image, um, and yeah, and your, I think, just like perceived image by others all come under the scrutiny. first house. Yeah, and so when things move through there, yeah, through that first house, they come under scrutiny, they get put under a, a microscope, a microscope and um, are really analyzed. Or you might really be analyzing them because the thing about well, the first exactly, house- that's what I mean. Is that- it is how you present in the world, but it's also the threshold to your own inner life. Yeah. So if you have just natally Mercury in your first house, you are someone who's probably consistently thinking, who am I? You know, and yeah. like perceiving the world through the lens of who am I? Whereas if you have Saturn in there, you're maybe restricted to that. Uh, questioning. Yeah. Or you, you could know? be really self-critical, really hard on yourself. Saturn in the first placements I find are people that have trouble giving themselves some grace. Yeah. So it's hard to actually like plummet into that like self-analysis because you're criticizing every step of the way. So you're not able to go as deep as easily. If you have Neptune in the first house, people may very easily project upon you because Neptune is this kind of mystical, watery, fogged-in planet. So you might seem a little hard to pin down, maybe even to yourself. And because of that, it's very easy for people just to like project upon you. Like Marilyn Monroe had Neptune in the first house. And that's why nobody really knows who the real Marilyn was. It was very easy for her just to kind of be this cipher that the world projected their desires upon. Yeah, she was like a hologram. Exactly. Yeah. Even though that's not really who she was. She was this very intelligent, very complex human. Right. Sometimes, too, the planets in the first house, especially close to that ascendant line, can speak just to like the the circumstances of your literal birth. So sometimes Pluto in the first house people had like a really harrowing birth. Like maybe your mom barely made it through maybe it was like an emergency c-section or maybe it was just like because pluto is all about like deep soul transformation and there's like an intensity and a power like you're coming into the world really changed the dynamic of the family forever right like you know if you're like the third kid maybe you don't like change the nature of the family too much because there's already two other kids but if you're like the first kid or if you were like you know the third kid after 10 years of no kids, right? Like you bring Pluto, you bring this sort of like irreparable. The queer kid. Yeah, the queer kid, totally. So yeah, if you have the sun in the first house, I mean, it just actually, I think, illuminates you 
as a person in the world, you know, like you enter spaces just as a light. Yeah. Um, and I do think your identity becomes like a major component just to like who you are. You really, you know, like are deeply invested in how you identify. Yeah. And I go back to that Liz Green quote, which is like, if the sun is the kind of hero you are and the ascendant is the quest you're on, if they're both the same, there's a really nice unity, right? Like it's a, like, you know, if you're an Aquarius sun with an Aquarius rising, then you're like a futuristic space hero on a sci-fi adventure, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were an Aquarius sun with like a Cancer rising, you're a futuristic space hero on like a ocean faring intuitive journey into the past. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then the moon in the first house means you wear your heart on your sleeve. Because the moon is the inner self. And so if the moon's in the first house, everybody can kind of see it. And even if you're not aware, you know, it's like you have, you will invariably have trouble keeping your emotions to yourself, even if you think that's what you're doing, because moon in the first house means that we're all perceiving it. Yeah. So generating a really strong relationship with your emotional self uh, is really important because, yeah, it is a value to just understanding how you appear to others and if you have uranus in the first house then you come across as like a revolutionary you come across as somebody who wants to fuck shit up who's unique and innovative and that can sometimes make people uncomfortable but uranus in the first house is really permission to let your freak flag fly yeah And what should be said is that these planets in the first house aren't just how you express, but it's also sometimes the reaction that you create in the world. So by exhibiting Uranus, you allow other people to bring Uranus back to you. Like if I go to like my Mars and Venus in the first house, like, you know, Mars and Aries is a leader. And so people sometimes think like, oh, you're the leader. But I also endow other people with that. Mm -hmm. Like in my presence, people go like, oh, I can be a leader too which is a lot of like what my work in the world is, is like giving people the tools to be their own leader. If you could distill the greatest lesson of the first house for someone to understand, what would it be? I would say it's the raw materials of your authentic self finding a way to be expressed or manifested out in the world where you can like see them and touch them and feel them. It's the place of the mirror. So we know ourselves through our reflection, but we also, it's like what we were talking about earlier with like TikTok and needing to validate yourself and the over-dependence on that. The first house is the place where you meet the rest of the world and where the rest of the world meets you. It's literally your birth, right? It's your like, hello, I'm here energy. Yeah. And so that's that's the lesson that the first house is teaching us is how to say, hello, I'm here. And the style in which you're going to announce your your presence. That's great. What about you? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if I had to distill it. I mean, obviously, I agree with everything you said. And I guess if I were just saying. You better. <laughs> or else I'm going to fight know. about it. I know. And I'll just lay here and. Eat a cookie. Sip champagne and watch. You fight with, with myself. The hologram of me. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it comes down simply to identity and our relationship to, it's actually like, 
the relationship we have with finding our identity and understanding our identity and partnering with those planetary energies uh, or if you don't have any then partnering with the signs energies and really utilizing those to dig in to your self-inquiry and understanding and to what you said the authenticity of it you know that like we may fight certain authentic pieces of our identity when our planets or our sign there are like just screaming it at us um so the more you can engage with the lesson plan that's just literally sitting there for you um the greater sense of self-understanding you can have for yourself and create a greater ease with which you can use to move through the world. Yeah, I think that's so well said and important to be said. Just those planets are part of the life plan and they're in that house for a reason and it's actually the easiest, most graceful way to partner with your destiny. So even though you may not like having Pluto in the first house, even though people are always telling you you're like too intense, partnering with that intensity is actually the most graceful way to go. Because that's part of your soul plan. Yeah. That's why it's there. So there you have it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, this is the first episode that we're doing in this series. And the, the first, first house, house, if you will. Yeah, it is. It's all about beginnings. And so we've all already been born, right? Because we're here listening, engaging with technology to hear the sounds of our voices. But the first house gets triggered anytime you start something new. So I think even if you notice how Angel and I approached this episode, or at least this deep dive, you can get a taste for at least what an Aries rising does and what a Taurus rising does. And you might think, what is my rising sign and how do I approach new beginnings whenever they arrive? How do I partner with initiation? Because that is really the essence of the first house. Mm -hmm. And we hope we made a good first impression. All right. So next month we'll get into the second house. Um, but now it's time for the tarot card of the episode. All right, everybody. So here's a tarot card until we meet again. So just take a moment and just get connected to your inner life. If you can close your eyes safely. I would certainly encourage that. And just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. And if you have a particular question or there's just something in your life that needs some guidance, you can throw that out into the sound of the cards right now. The Seven of Pentacles. Go on. So the Seven of Pentacles is all about rearranging what you're tending to. If we just look at the image, it's someone who's in a garden and they're resting their weight on the garden hoe or the rake or whatever it is. What'd you call me? A garden hoe. And they're looking at the pentacles, which are in bloom. Sevens are spiritual. Sevens are the original organizing principle of the ancients because there were the seven planets that are visible with the naked eye, which is why we have the seven days of the week and things are kind of organized in sevens. And so the seven of pentacles asks us to look around our physical world 
and make sure that it's in alignment with our spiritual principles. It's a time to make sure that what you are bringing your resources to is something that you actually care about, something that nourishes you. And sometimes the seven of pentacles can be a little jarring because sevens can be an imbalance of some kind, an imbalance in the way the physical and the invisible come together, which is what the eight kind of solves. And so you might just be aware of where there's an imbalance in what you're giving your attention and your resources to, and you are co-creating your life with the invisible world, and you get to call the shots to some degree. This card took on a whole new significance for me in my year ahead spread for 2022, the month of June, which is the month that my mom passed away, was a seven of pentacles month. And in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense because when my mom died, but even before those three months of June, before she passed away, I was really rearranging the nature of my day-to-day life through a spiritual perspective, right? And after she was gone, my whole world was irrevocably changed. And I'm still rearranging based on that. So it doesn't always show up as that intensely, but it's an invitation to take a step back, to rest for a moment, to look at what your labor has already brought into the world and make sure that you want more of that. The way I always talk about this in readings, and it's like so stupid, but I think it's kind of the best way to talk about it is like, If you don't like cherries, why have you purchased a cherry orchard? Why are you spending your time and your money and your resources growing cherries when you don't fucking like cherries? So whatever the cherries are for you, make sure it's something you actually want. Thank you. It's a good place to start the year. Yeah, that is a great place. It's contemplative, you know? It's like don't take action yet unless it's right action. Don't just be on the hamster wheel of productivity because maybe what you're producing has no real value to you. Right. So question your motivations again, your intentions, and move forward with clarity and purpose. That's what we're doing here at the Spiritual Gaze. Headquarters. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. We know this was a juicier episode, but hey, it'd been a minute. We had a lot to share. Just a juicy cherry. Life is just a bowl of cherries. Don't take it serious. It's too mysterious. Is that a real song? Yeah. Just made it up? Oh, I didn't know. You work, you play, and you worry so, but you can't get the dough till you go, go, go. I don't remember what that's from. No, that's from like oh. an old musical. Okay. I'll look it up. <laughs> somebody's screaming. Somebody's screaming it <laughs> totally. at the radio or the phone or the whatever, the podcast <laughs> the player. Thank you all so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we hope you will uh, tune in to either our newsletter or some of the social medias and find out more info on our upcoming upcoming call-in show. Yes, be called in for the yes. call-in show, caller. Yeah. We had such a great time. We did that last year. So, yeah, we're here. You know, we can ask, answer your questions about the new year. You know, if you have a burning question for yourself, you know, we can pull a card for you. We can talk to you about anything. So, um, so yeah, hopefully you'll join us for that. And of course, you can always um, 
join us at one of our monthly offerings, our, our webinars, our Astro Club, Breathwork, Spirit World Circle. You can get all the information at thespiritualgaze.com. Um, but you can also choose to follow us at one of the many social media outlets. You can find us at the Spiritual Gaze at those places. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual gaze.